Good afternoon. If you would take a Bible and be turning to Genesis chapter 1, just so you have a little bit of a head start. Uh, we'll meet there in just a moment. Genesis chapter 1. Thankful again for your attendance. Appreciate the prayer that was led and the songs and the singing. And just the chance to again encourage ourselves with the uh, words of the song, with the time of worship, being together as a family. Uh, just a great way, of course, to start our week. And as I mentioned this morning, we're going to continue uh, the discussion that we kind of had this morning about the challenges that our young people face in particular, although we certainly said we all face these challenges. But as we mentioned through the bulletin and our titles, we'd like to uh, turn just a little bit, I guess pivot a little bit and think about some of us as adults. Uh, let me make mention that I'm, I'm going to share with you some of this information is from a couple of articles um, that I'm borrowing from from the Focus Press website. And we just continue uh, to emphasize the work that they're doing there and put that before you. Um, I, for one, appreciate you know good writing, good material, uh, good challenging thoughts, and, and I would certainly never take credit that it was my own, but to simply share the same information with you so that you can uh, try to look through it at your own uh, time and ability. Uh, but the Focus Press, the, the guys that work there continue to grow and, uh, and expand what they're doing, their services that they're offering. Uh, both of the articles that we're going to kind of touch on today are by the brothers uh, Jack and Joe Wilkie, which we've studied some of their books in our Wednesday night class. Uh, and let me uh, just tell you again that they do several podcasts. If you're in, into that kind of thing, listening, whether it be while exercising or driving or whatever, when you have time to kind of maybe listen, and I mean, I've told you, I, I struggle some with my mind. If I'm busy doing something, I'm trying to listen. And, you know, that kind of idea of multitasking doesn't always work for some people. But, but maybe you're picking up some things. Uh, but one of the brothers in particular has just started a, another new podcast on, through Focus Press. And, and the title of it, or it's dealing it with, is with the idea of pornography. And he's very open in the very first episode, which is only about 15 minutes, about his struggles. And uh, just to tell you, uh, he's very honest that he had a problem and struggled, and he did it and had a problem while he was in preaching school. Going through preaching school was struggling with pornography issues. And so it's just a very good reminder that no one is above anything, that even though we sometimes can put on a, a brave face or a good face in front of some people, we all have struggles and kind of keep those hidden and he was able thankfully to you know finally get the help he needed and to come out of that and now he's trying to share those kinds of things he's actually a licensed counselor so that kind of helps as well uh, but just very good he's already posted the second episode dealing with uh, what's called triggers but the idea of maybe some behaviors or attitudes that might trigger behaviors such as that so uh, just all kinds of good things uh, coming out from there and, and I want to make sure and give them credit but also share that with you so you can visit either focuspress.org or you can find them on social media Facebook and that kind of thing because they're covering a variety of topics that deal with all kinds of things for Christians as well as for parents and for families. Uh, so the question this afternoon then was adults, because if we're being honest, and it's not all bad, right? We, we sometimes long for the time when the grandparents lived here and the parents lived here and kids were involved with both, and it was just a wonderful thing for this large family unit. So that's not all bad. But if we're being honest, in our society, and some of you uh, that are teachers or deal with the community, you know 
I always talk about my, my mother-in-law dealing with uh, the, the elementary school there in Dunlap and Squatchy County sees all, I mean, she deals with some parents when there's issues, but she deals with a lot of grandparents when there's some issues, dealing with all kinds of family members when there's a breakdown in the way God designed for the home to be. So I wanted to say parents, but it's probably more accurate to say grandparents. And again, as I challenge you this morning, if you're here, then you have an impact on my kids. So it's not just even parents and grandparents, but as adults, how can we be better? What can we do recognizing the challenges that our young people face? And so I want to share, again, some from these couple of articles. The first one is going to deal with three tests, if you will, three tests that we can kind of ask ourselves uh, about whether or not uh, we are kind of looking at our children in the right way and truly helping them. The title of the article was How Our Culture Teaches Us to Hate Our Kids. Listen to it again, how our culture teaches us to hate our kids. So, of course, that kind of draws you in because you think, well, that's not exactly how it should be, right? And is that really how it is? But when we think about it, the world's fertility rates, in a lot of ways, are, are falling off a cliff, as we might say, just dropping tremendously. And there's a, probably a few different reasons why, uh, but, you know, there are, you know, if you look at some people and you kind of ask whether you ask media or whether you ask Google or whether you ask anything in between, they may give you some different thoughts on why exactly that is. But as people, and especially as Christians, we understand that mankind was given the mandate by God twice to be fruitful and multiply. Genesis chapter 1 and verse number 28 is the first place. God blessed them. God said to them, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. You go forward in your Bible to Genesis chapter 9 and verse number 7. And after the great flood and Noah's deliverance in chapter 9 and verse 7, it's going to be reiterated. And as for you, be fruitful and multiply, bring forth abundantly in the earth and multiply in it. So as people who understand that, that we were given this mandate twice by God, and as people who believe that God, who believe God when he says that children are a gift from the Lord, you remember Psalm 127? Psalm 127 in verse number 3, children are a gift or a heritage from the Lord. Then it's probably true that we, we shouldn't be joining these people who cheer in the declining birth rates. Now let me, I just try to be honest and give the caveats first. I understand some people can't, are not able physically to have children. Some people choose not to. That's certainly not a sin. But we also see here that, yes, God's encouragement for his people are to be fruitful and multiply, to fill the earth. I mean, that's certainly maybe in a, in a physical sense, I guess, true as well, but also absolutely from a, a spiritual or, you know, an encouraging kind of sense as well. When you think about the idea that as Christians, we have an opportunity to, if we are filling the earth with God's people, be of the right kind of encouragement. You know, our society sort of has a wide distaste sometimes for children, this idea of having children. And if we're not careful, that begins to spill over to us as Christians. And I'll, I'll tell you, I, I mean, I use social media, I do, and, and sometimes I get on and, and maybe it's some writers I follow, maybe they're, you know, sort of reporters, and I'll see something that, that talks about that. And it kind of strikes, strikes my thoughts, and I'll maybe look at it and read what they're saying. And, and if we fill our minds with that enough, then we might start buying in to the reasons that they give. And in the end, it's easy for culture to teach us 
to hate our kids. All right, so three things real quick. They call in the article three litmus tests for us to consider. Number one, how we value them. How do we value our children? The world views children as a resource drag on both a global and individual scale, right? Globally, more kids means more consumers of food and resources in a planet that's supposedly, you know, dying any year now. And individually, more kids mean fewer vacations. Maybe it means you can't get the boat that you want anymore, or it means more clothes to buy, or more mouths to feed, more diapers to change. You have to set up the college fund and, and all of these things. And you know, that's kind of the message that people sometimes give. Besides, right, if you why marry and have kids when you know you can just have more pets or be a, a dog mom or, or something like that. And once again, nothing wrong with having pets. I don't see anything wrong with that. But you know what's interesting to me, even those things that seem a little silly to us, is that not kind of the argument for abortion as well? Is that not the argument that some people have been making in order to keep the ability to have an abortion on demand is to say, well, you know what? I just decided that, that kids would be a lot for me right now. They would just be too much on me and my career and the things that I want to do. But there are sadly many Christians who view kids in all of these kinds of ways as well. But just about every family sometimes is thinking about this and sometimes the way we treat it. A lot of families that have three or more kids have always been asked by that question as well, right? You know what causes that? You know, is this something that you're intending to do? Because a lot of times, yeah, sometimes people are joking, but culture views it as people who want to have many kids as having little value. So is that the way that we really treat our children? Is, is that the way that, you know, when people ask us questions, how do we value them? Do we give them any kind of value? Number two, how do we speak of them? How do we speak of them? In the article, they share a couple of the memes or, or Facebook posts and uh, kind of the idea sometimes that you usually see it. We just went through this time in the fall when mothers are sending their kids back to school quite often, right? It's that picture of the mom celebrating, says it's time for school to start, you know. And it's kind of usually meant to be a joke and say, oh, I'm free from my kids now and sending them back to school. And, and I get that some people are simply joking when they share those kinds of things. But for some people, it's the truth. And while it's meant to be a joke, or maybe they're kind of saying it that way, sometimes the way we speak about our children, complain about our children, act as if they're a burden upon us, really sends another kind of message. You know, sometimes children are, are treated, or young people are treated as, as lesser than, and, and, you know, they're just children. But you know, Matthew chapter 7 and verse number 12, that golden rule, Treat others the way you want to be treated. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. That should apply to lots of people. Even as we said this morning when it comes to our interactions with members of the opposite gender, that we should you know, treat people the way we want to be treated. If you and I wouldn't want people, we love to have a running joke about how annoying it is to have us around, then maybe we shouldn't do that to kids either. But sometimes it seems like it's something that's perfectly socially acceptable to talk about our kids that way it seems like it's something of a pastime of sorts on social media to share about these things and while sometimes social media and Facebook maybe in particular can allow mothers and and parents to have a, a group where they can discuss things and and talk about problems and issues it can also quickly be a way just to always be negative or constantly complaining about our kids sure they're difficult sometimes 
But hopefully our default position toward them should be the joy that they bring us, the gratitude that God blessed us with these children. That should be the way we usually speak of them. Yes, there's a way to joke sometimes, but maybe you've been around one of those people who that's all they ever did was joke in that kind of way. Enough to where you're kind of going, well, maybe they just, maybe they don't really like their kids. Or it can go for our spouses too, right? The husband always making the jokes about his wife. Well, maybe he doesn't really like her because he just always seems to talk about, you know, these things. And he might say, oh, I'm joking. But again, the encouragement is maybe we need to be careful how we speak about our children. And if our speech is in such a way that it's always negative or complaining, maybe that's a test to show us we wouldn't say we hate our kids. But maybe we need to reconsider some things. All right, number three, how do we interact with them? How do we interact with them? Uh, Brother Jack Wilkie in this article says, Nothing in my life has revealed the selfishness of my own heart quite like having kids. The days of living life on my own terms are over. These little humans require constant attention and care. They try your patience over and over. Every day they need things of me that I don't really have a choice but to give them and everything else will have to wait. But he says, what I can choose though is how I treat them in these interactions. It's very easy for us quite often to respond with a lack of patience or anger. Let me kind of expound again for just a second and say not only to our children but certainly to our family, our spouses as well. Why would you do that? Stop interrupting me. You know, kind of always just short with someone when we interact with them. He says in the article, who's going to hold you accountable? You can't talk to your coworkers like that because you might be reprimanded by management. You can't talk to your friends like that because they won't hang out with you anymore. But what is that six-year-old going to do about it? He's stuck with you. Kind of harsh words to cause us to think about. We must be careful. We are so close together sometimes and we're always, you know, kind of sharing the same space that it's easy. We see the good and the bad. Maybe there's something else going on in our minds as parents, especially the stress of the job. We've just, you know, done something that, that maybe we wish we hadn't have done or, you know, work made a mistake. And we come home and that spills out onto our family. But that's why it's very important that we show our children how we value them by the way we speak to them and with our interactions. Nobody's going to make us do it, but God knows, and certainly, quite often, the kids reflect it. You know, that kid that shows up at school and, and uses the four-letter word or is always short with people, and the teacher says, especially if it's a change, you know, this nice kid to begin the year becomes in such a way of, of this kind of anger and outburst, and the teacher says, well, what happened? And we see that it's ultimately just bringing out what's happening at home. And so it's often been said, how we treat those who can do nothing for us in return is the true sign of our character. And that's sometimes the way our family is in this kind of situation. So those are three tests, how, how we interact with them, how we speak of them, and how we value them. Does that show that we love them, or does that show that we hate them? And that then begins to build, build over or spill over into what we talked about this morning. When they're having these struggles, do they feel like we can be approached? Do they feel like they can come to us and ask questions or that we value them? 
Because sometimes when these kids are struggling, when young people struggle, and I think just about all the sad occasions that we hear about at school and, and things where a kid uh, is, is very depressed or either attempts to take their own life or sometimes does, and, and you know, the parent says, well, I never notice anything. Because sometimes we're so caught up in ourselves, we're not recognizing these challenges they are facing. We listed just eight this morning. And many of you were, you know, appreciative, and I, I appreciate that, but, but I challenge myself as well. That's just eight, and we've got to keep an eye on all of these things so that we can remind our children we don't hate them, we love them. They are a heritage, and we want to help them the best we can. So then secondly, in the last few minutes we have, the question secondly is, are you building a spiritual legacy? Are you building a spiritual legacy when it comes to your children? When we think of the word legacy, what comes to your mind. You may think of the influence that you have or a person that influenced you or a circumstance that we can have on future generations that come after us. For many of you, maybe you think about a memorial service or a funeral that you've been to lately for a loved one. You think about their legacy. Isn't that often what we share? I mean, again, myself in particular as a, a preacher that sometimes stands and delivers a, a message or a eulogy, we talk about the legacy of a person. So if that is true, if it's something that's transmitted or passed down from one ancestor to a future generation, what about our legacy, our spiritual legacy? You know, in the article here, the question, the, the example is put forth that quite often in music, there's, you, we can look at two examples of two different genres of music and think about legacy. Number one, think about really just some of the worldly music, not that it's all sinful, I mean, sometimes we might mention things like rap music or, or rock and roll or, or certain types of genres. But what is the message of a lot of the songs that comes from some of those genres? It talks about getting rich. It talks about chasing pleasure and even sexual pleasure, gaining a reputation from all of these things, flaunting collection of cars or, or large uh, sums of money, hosting large parties, having respect for all of these things, basically having more and more stuff. And the idea is when you've made enough money and you've gained enough respect and maybe you have a few million dollars that you can leave to your kids, then and only then will you have a legacy. And, of course, this idea of legacy is very materially focused, right? It's, it's presently focused, but it's the message of what our kids listen to. And I would challenge you. I mean, they kind of make a mention in the article of, some, of the genre of rap music, but I would challenge you, go back and listen to some rock and roll songs and other things. We could identify probably different songs from lots of genres where that is the emphasis about having what I can have, and that is what I will pass down. And for many people, it's about how much money I can make, and that is what I will leave. However, we're not always quick, as quick to judge ourselves when we fail to spiritually lead our families, right? We work endless hours so that we can have those things. Will our kids remember us for our love for God or constantly trying to earn more money? We need to model hard work. We need to model taking care of our families. That's necessary. But what's the first thing? Isn't that a challenge sometimes to think about the question of what's the first thing our kids would think about us or young people would think about us when they see us? Always working, always worried about having enough or making money or always caring about them and concerned about them. There's been lots of songs over the years that you've heard that talk about this idea. There was one a few years ago by a newer band that made this statement. 
He never made time for the family, but he is the richest man in the cemetery. He never made time for the family, but he is the richest man in the cemetery. What a thought. What a thought that we could leave this earth without properly prioritizing God and our family's spirituality. So on the flip side, I told you we talk about two genres. Number one, this idea of just typical genres in our, our society and the music we listen to. But what about the Christian music, musical genre? What about those songs that we have already sung today and the songs that if we took time and flipped through the songbook, we could find? Are you sewing up for yourselves treasures in heaven? When you die, will those who knew you think of your earthly success with money and fame? Or will they know you as a humble man or woman of God who understood this life and that its pleasures are fleeting? If you are to be remembered in 200 years, how do you want people to think of you? When we care about things of this earth more than things of heaven, we hurt ourselves and we hurt our kids. The question is, adults, what are we going to do? Where is our focus? What are we thinking about? Three more points here, and this lesson will be yours. If we want to realize that we have a unique opportunity to create the spiritual legacy, here are three things that we can do. Number one, if you're a Christian, realize you've already been given everything that matters. If you're a Christian, realize that you've already been given everything that matters. You have a spiritual bank account that is full. We see Ephesians chapter 1. In Ephesians chapter 1 that Paul talks about the idea that all spiritual blessings are in Christ Jesus. We may not have the most money, but yes, we have all kinds of blessings. We have meaningful relationships built into the church. Go back and read Acts 2, 42 through 47 and be reminded of what they were doing. How they were encouraging one another, selling their things, coming together, being of one accord. Is that said about us as a church family think about the idea that you have a reputation as a child of God that's the most valuable reputation that you can have Romans chapter 8 and verse number 16 Romans 8 16 Paul says the spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God that's the most important thing why should we choose or what excuse me why should we chase the fleeting physical things of this world when we've been given everything that matters in abundance. And I know that doesn't always equal enough money month in and month out to pay the bills and to have the food and what you uh, need or what you want sometimes, but we have what really matters. We have love. We have hope. I said it last week. The lesson, if you recall, last Sunday morning was that message of one requirement and two rewards. The two rewards, of course, if you remember, were number two, the eternal life. But number one, the abundance of brothers and sisters and mothers and fathers in this life. Because as we look around us, we think about the great blessings that we share. We may not share them in the same way that they did by going and selling and bringing the things and kind of having that idea. But I know, I know, if I needed something that I could call on anyone here. And I know, and I hope that you know, that if you needed something, you could call on me or anyone here. Because we have been given everything that matters. Those things help in the physical sense. But we also think about the spiritual sense as well. So number one, if you want to create a spiritual legacy that can last, recognize that you've been given everything that matters if you're a Christian. 
Number two, store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. But how do we do that? Because that's the question, right? Or that's the statement. Store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. How do we do that? By pursuing the things of God. We talked about priorities already. Prioritize. That was really towards the end of the lesson this morning. But we need to prioritize what gets the first place. I know that when we leave here in just a few minutes and we start thinking about the work week, there's a whole host of things that take over. Maybe it's the bills, maybe it's home, maybe it's family, maybe it's work. There are all kinds of things that need to be done. But what are we prioritizing? And the question is, how do we show it? Because you can show it. One way you show it is by being here amongst your family. You can show it at home in other ways. Maybe it's the things that you do say and share among coworkers or on social media. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. By the way, if you don't have the scripture reference, that's Matthew 6, 19 through 21. Matthew 6, 19 through 21, about not storing up here on earth where moth and rust doth corrupt, where thieves break in and seal, but storing up for yourself treasures in heaven. Help your brothers and sisters in Christ in their walks with God. Grow closer to God through Bible study and prayer. Evangelize to a lost and dying world, to your friends and coworkers who are struggling, who need help, who have questions. Those opportunities are out there. I've told you before, one of my first few months on the job as a youth minister uh, back many years ago, heard a lesson by another youth minister or preacher, and he said, and it just always stuck with me from that point on, don't pray for the opportunities, pray to take advantage of those opportunities or for the courage to take advantage of those opportunities because they're out there. It is a lost and dying world. There are so many things that that are surrounding our children and us trying to drag us down. We need to turn to God. We need to have courage to stand through all of these things. We store up for ourselves treasures in heaven when we pursue the things of God. Third and finally, realize that your relationship with God can be, can be, and must be passed on to future generations. The Great Commission shows us that it is our job to multiply. I said it at the beginning, be fruitful and multiply. God doesn't say it's a sin to not have children, as we even think about sometimes, again, physical reasons or whatever it might be. But the Great Commission tells us to multiply. Maybe not physically in the sense of a natural birth, but when we think about the new birth, and we think about becoming a part of the family, we are to multiply. Paul in 2 Timothy chapter 2 And verse number two models this plan to pass down through generations our faith. Do you remember what he says there, 2 Timothy 2 and verse 2? The things you have heard from me among many witnesses, commit these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. And you know what's interesting? He talks about men here, by the way. That's a mention. I mean, it just says directly men. But go over to 2 Timothy 3 and verse number 15. And remember that he tells Timothy you, that you from childhood have known the Holy Scriptures. Who's he talking about there? How did Timothy know the Scriptures? Well, you go back to 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse number 5, and remember that he says it's Lois and Eunice, his mother and grandmother. Do men have a responsibility? Absolutely, without a doubt, 100%. Are our women, mothers, and grandmothers important as well? Absolutely, without a doubt, 100%. Your relationship with God can be and must be passed down. What does can be mean? Well, it means that your relationship or your lack of relationship with God can also be passed down. 
when kids and grandchildren see that, you know, I remember when my grandparents or parents took me to church long ago, but they don't go anymore for some reason. They're not connected anymore with that particular congregation. Do you want a legacy? Well, kind of back to what we just said. We will have a legacy. Will it be one that encourages our young people in their challenges, or will it be one that leaves them sort of hanging to figure it out on their own, not knowing the true source of information? Kids, back to kind of our first point this afternoon, kids are a good thing. They're a blessing. They're going to have their challenges. They're going to have their struggles. They may be a challenge and a struggle sometimes for our families, but when we think about what God has told us and what his plan is, for Christians, maybe we be challenged, even today from these lessons, to think about how we can be better. Husbands and wives, parents, grandparents, better Christians. Maybe it's not somebody in your house right now, this moment. Maybe it is, but maybe it's not. But there's someone that you can impact and encourage. And may we challenge ourselves through the things we've discussed today to recognize that we need to do better sometimes as we think about the many challenges we face in this world. As we conclude this lesson this afternoon, we extend heaven's invitation once again. We're blessed with that opportunity as a family to come together. Have you decided to follow Jesus? It's 272. 272 will be our invitation song here in just a moment as we think about deciding to follow Jesus. Maybe you have decided that in the past and you've been doing that for many, many years, but that doesn't matter. It doesn't mean you're going to be faithful into death. There's challenges day in and day out, and maybe you've fallen short in some way and want the prayers of your brothers and sisters in Christ. Leave right now with a, with a blessing, with a renewed spirit. Maybe that involves coming forward and becoming a Christian. Maybe that involves coming forward and confessing sin and starting anew even this day. We love you, and we encourage you now as we stand together and as we sing.